Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Ezra chapter 4, and I'm going to call it Dead in Our Tracks because that's going to be what happens to the temple building as it gets stopped. But I want to ask you, have you ever been stopped dead in your tracks before? You ever had some plan that you were moving with and it just got shut down? How about when you're trying to get something done and it just seems like everything is against you, any bit of progress you try to make just isn't happening. And I'll tell you something else that I cannot stand is when I'm in a bad situation like that and you go through a traumatic experience and then somebody comes along and they says, oh, let me tell you what you ought to do. I don't mind advice. But when people come up and say, let me tell you what you ought to do, and they say, I've been exactly where you are, and they try to sympathize with you so they can tell you what you need to do. Okay, there's a difference in that and advice. There's a huge difference. When somebody tells you like that, oh, I, I have been exactly in your shoes, I, and they don't really know exactly what all you're dealing with. They say, I, I know exactly where you, I've been there, I've been there, and you're like, No, you haven't. You have not been where I'm at. (laughs) It kind of becomes an insult when people do you that way. They try to inject themselves into your problem to make you do what they want you to do. It's almost like they're using your problem for their advantage somehow. Again, this is very different than somebody saying, talk to me about it. You talk and you say, I understand. I had a similar kind of case and I understand. Okay, that's very different. This is not a a reason to disregard people's advice. But the people that say, oh, I I am in there and I'm going to get in there and we're going to do this and you're going to do that. And they start ordering your steps and telling you how you're supposed to deal with the whole situation. They don't know. That's going to be some of what we're going to see today. We're going to see some people that came to the tribe of Judah and talk to them like that. Okay, Ezra 4, verse 1, there's going to be resistance to rebuilding the temple. Okay, now verse 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. We alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. He didn't command you, commanded us. This is our deal. Now, these adversaries here, it's important we remember that that's what they're called. They're out for something. They had their own false God belief system, okay? And after being held captive for 70 years, 
Judah was not about to let their religions, these other religions of worshiping Baal or Dagon or all these other crazy false gods, they were not about to let this try to turn God's temple into a multi-faith worship complex. Remember, they had those before that they were tearing down. It was a multi-complex for whatever faith you are good, come on, your God's okay with us. And they, they remember those days. The people of Judah also remember exactly why they were dragged off captive in the first place, because they had worshipped other gods. So no, you can't come help us. So I say good for them for rejecting these guys' help, because that showed how badly they really wanted to get right with the Lord God again. We are not even going to risk it 1% letting you come in and taint all this work, because that's what got us in trouble in the first place. Sorry, we're going to build it by ourselves. Now, there in verse 2, where the adversary said, We've worshipped God ever since the days of Esherahadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. See where it says that? Who brought us here. What they were claiming is that they were claiming that they were victims of deportation too. We were brought here, just like the people of Judah were brought out. No, 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 we're just like you. We were brought here. They claim to be these same victims, so... They were trying to get Zerubbabel to, they were pulling on his sympathy. We're the same as you are. We know exactly how it feels to be you. We were brought here. We remember y'all were in captivity. Well, we were in captivity too. We know exactly how it feels to be you. See this? Don't talk to me like that. They had false gods in their religion. And so I think that Israelites did not believe them at all when they said they were looking for their God. I think the Israelites probably took their offer to help as an insult. Because you notice how the adversaries conveniently skipped acknowledging the fact that Judah had the God-given right to that land as his chosen people. They said, oh, we're just like you. We've been dragged off too, so let's come in here. No, 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 no. They skipped, oh, we recognize that's your land. You see how they left that major point out? Friends, that land of Israel over there belongs to those people. It belongs to the people of Israel. That is their land. But that is the people of Judah, their land right here in Jerusalem. And it's almost like they were to say, how dare they say that we're just like you are? I'd be saying, no, you're not. You're not like us. We're holy. We are set apart. We're different. You'll have people out there in the world say, oh, come on, Christian. Just do like we do. We're just like you. You better not say, yeah, you are like me. You're set apart for the Lord God. You're not supposed to be doing the things that they're doing. You do what God told you to do. And that's what Zerubbabel said. We're not like you. We're going to do what God told us to do. So their official response to the adversary's offer was made by two different ruling departments, both from the religious side, that was done by Jeshua, and from the governmental side, and that was by Zerubbabel because he was the governor of Judah at the time. And plus, they told him, King Cyrus told us to do it. We have been sent with permission. The king of Persia, don't mess with him. He's too big, okay? So there you have it. The official word is no. Get out of here. (laughs) Good for them. Ezra 4 and 4. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So there you go. I mean, they come, oh, we're just like you. We seek your God. No, you're not. 
you're not like us. You don't seek our God. And the first thing they do is work against them. You see how it is when people who are up to no good, how fast they demonstrate their true agenda. And you got to watch out for that. Stay holy. Stay in the body of Christ. Stay close. Walk with the people who walk with God. So what does the enemy do when they don't succeed with plan A? They move to plan B. So they went to plan B and they did everything in their power to try to stop the temple from being built. The people of Judah, they had had to order lumber. They had a lot of items to ship in. They had uh, logistics going on. They had to structure some work staff to start doing all this. A lot of stuff going on. Any of you who've ever run in a business and managed stuff, you know there's a lot to be put together in this kind of work. So this went on. The opposition was going on all the way until King Darius took over the throne of Persia. Now, it took the new king to come in before this temple could be built. So this opposition attempt of the adversaries, it actually worked. It actually stopped them. And it stalled the temple rebuild for about 18 years. I want you to think about that for a minute. You ever try to get somewhere in life, you ever try to achieve things, and you're just stuck, and it goes on for years. And you start wondering, where's God? Where'd he go? I thought he told me to do this. Did he not tell them to go build the temple? So it stalled for 18 years, and it was not completed until about 515 B.C. But over the course of that 18 years, the people of Judah kind of started to forget about rebuilding the temple. So the Lord had to send a prophet. He sent Haggai to snap them out of it. And isn't that just like us? A little time goes by, we forget. We just forget all about it. You know, I think of 9-11, you think, man, that's going to wake everybody up. That's going to start revival and get everybody in church, and kaboom, here we go. No, we done forgot. We forget so quick. Look at this. He sent a prophet, Haggai 1-2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? They had been using the temple building materials to fancy up their own houses. All this building, all this lumber, all this stuff, okay, well, it's just sitting there, hey, let's make our own house with it. Let's panel our houses. In that day, paneled house, you were something else to have a paneled house. And in America today, people are kind of doing the same thing. They take what was given to them for kingdom work, and they panel their houses with it. God's like, that is not for you to be doing that. So he's like, did you forget? They were taking what was supposed to be used for God's glory to glorify themselves. So even though Zerubbabel and his staff told those adversaries, no, you can't help us, they still didn't build it. Eventually, they forgot. They, they got sidetracked from the rebuild, even though they tried to keep the bad guys out of the project. Isn't that something? Do you realize how flawed we are? (laughs) Do you realize how messed up sinful we are? How much we need a Savior every single day? Amazing. So the next passages that we're about to read here, they seem like they're kind of out of place. It's like, wait, what's suddenly going on here? Let me fill you in on what's happening. These are letters that were sent to and from King Artaxerxes. It's talking about the opposition that they had with the temple rebuild. So we find out that the temple got stalled, and now we're going to see some correspondence going back and forth that relate to that situation. Now, the letters are out of chronological order with what we're reading, and I'm going to try to put you in place with the history best I can. 
because we're going to see a few time stamp markers in the letters. But Ezra placed them within his book here to give us a fuller view about the opposition that had occurred for the temple rebuild, okay? So basically, there's new documentation that came up, so it was later added in by him, Ezra, to chapter 4 to give us a little broader scope of all the trouble they had. And Ezra 4, verse 6, says, In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, there was a brief mention of an accusation that was sent to King Ahasuerus. He was also known as Xerxes. It was the same king that ruled during the book of Esther. Ezra does not say what became of this accusation against the people of Judah, except that it caused enough trouble to keep them from rebuilding it. So you see, people are getting so burnt up about it, they're writing to kings now. So they're, they're trying everything they can. Ezra 4 and 7, here's another. In the days of Artaxerxes, also, Bishlam, Mithradath, Tabel, and the rest of their companions wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic language. Okay, so here's a different king to Artaxerxes now, the son of Xerxes, and the trouble against the temple project even extended into his reign. I mean, this is going on and on. And these letters that we've read are all part of the correspondence that led to political pressure to stop the rebuilding. Now, remember, Zerubbabel and Jeshua replied, they said, no, we have King Cyrus's permission and his commands to back up the rebuild, so we're going to do it. But now here a couple of other kings have stepped in to shut it all down. It seems that these letters were written before Nehemiah came in to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. I mean, theoretically, you would think Nehemiah's project never would have got off the ground. If Nehemiah had showed up while all these kings were pressuring, he couldn't have done any rebuilding at all. Nehemiah's return was in the last of the three phases that brought all the people back. They're coming back, but Nehemiah plays into it later. So he would have happened into the wall project after the correspondence we just read. Now, the reason why verse 7 tells us that the letters were translated into Aramaic, it, it specified that language, is because that was the international trade language of that day. So just by seeing these letters were translated, they made sure they were all put out in Aramaic. We can see that the enemies of the Lord were trying to impose sanctions against Jerusalem internationally. They wanted all the countries to be against this. Put it in Aramaic. You get it in Aramaic everybody's going to find out. Now they're really not going to build this thing up. They wanted to keep them from receiving materials that they needed to rebuild the temple with. If Lebanon would have got this, got to stop the lumber from going to Israel. If they needed whatever else from any other nation that they needed to trade with to, to bring this temple build project, everybody goes, no, we got the Aramaic saying, we can't do business with you. And did you know it's kind of like that today? If you ship things to Israel, there are certain countries that will not ship nothing to Israel. You have to ship way around them, and it costs more money. It's a worldwide economic blockade that they were trying to do just to stop the temple. What in the world? What's the deal? You know the enemy hates God? Oh, he hates God. So you got a worldwide effort. They're trying to shut the whole project down, a project that God said would happen. Now that's where we really need to hang on. Everybody says no, but God said yes. Uh Uh-oh. 
This life will get good, isn't it? So it's the whole world against God, typically. Ezra 4 and 8. Rehum, the commander, and Shemshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes in this fashion. From Rehum, the commander, Shemshai, the scribe, and the rest of their companions, representatives of the Dinaites, and Lord God, forgive me for this one. All right. The Afarshites, that's all you're going to get out of me. The Tarpelites, the people of Persia and Eric and Babylon and Shushan, the Dehavites, the Elamites, and the rest of the, thank you for that, and the rest of the nations. Keep it easy. Thank you, verse 10. And the rest of the nations whom the great and noble O-Snapper, now that one really got me. Oh, snap, you know, (laughs) the O-Snapper, just what it is. And the noble O-Snapper took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria and the remainder beyond the river and so forth. Okay, this is the opening of a big international letter to King Artaxerxes. And you see all the nations listed here. Look at all these people and the rest and this and that and all the, so many to list. Look at all these people here. All these people groups, they had some kind of opposition. They were against Jerusalem rebuilding the temple in some kind of way. So here's Rehom and Shemshai. They were Persians that were about to tell the king, hey, everybody in our entire known world is against this temple. All the nations say no to this. We're all against it. And they're about to write the reasons why that everybody should be opposed to this temple and Jerusalem itself. So here we have all these people, all these nations, and here's why we're opposed to it. They're trying to persuade the king. We need you to help us shut it all down for good and keep this from happening. You ever wonder if maybe at a certain point somebody would say, why is everybody so against this God? Isn't there like something real to it? I mean, you don't see people marching up and down going, strike down leprechauns. Leprechauns ain't real. Who cares? But if everybody's so concentrated on this one thing, when you think for a minute, well, there must be something to it here, right? I don't get it. Ezra 4 and 11. This is a copy of the letter that they sent to him. To King Artaxerxes from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river and so forth, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious an evil city, and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now, because we received support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. They're posturing, oh, great king you are. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers, and you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, and that they have incited sedition within the city in former times, for which cause this city was destroyed. We inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion Beyond the river. All right, let's analyze this letter because it's full of baloney. These guys started with flattery. Oh, king, we would never dishonor you. 
Oh, that's why we're writing to you because we're so, you're so great and we are your servants. And the king would probably read, yeah, yeah, I am. I am great. I'm going to listen to these guys. I like them. See this? When people come to you with flattery, oh, watch it. You know what really gets me is when people come up, oh, Ray, you preach so wonderful. Okay, red flag, because I know I don't. It's God's word, okay? I'm just being honest. But when they fluff me up, something's up, okay? Now, if you want to say it was a wonderful message, great, but don't say it was all me. I don't buy it, okay? So the king's really taking this in. Then they used the same demonic strategy that they tried to pull on Judah by lying. See, oh, we're just like you. No, you're not. Well, they lied to the king, and they said that Jerusalem is an evil, wicked city. So terrible. That's a lie. That's not the case. It had done wicked things in the past. So did everybody else, right? But so it says that they saw walls being rebuilt. So obviously, this part of the story interconnects to the book of Nehemiah. So I'm giving you timestamps to compare it with other books. So they figured, well, if they're rebuilding a wall, then that must mean they're intending to rebel so that they can hide behind the wall. Why else would you need a wall unless you're planning to get mean with everybody, right? So they planted another lie into the king's ears, saying, if they rebel... So they're, they're really building up in an accusational case here. They're wicked, and they're building a wall. That means they're going to do something wrong. So if they're going to rebel, then here's how they're going to rebel. They're not going to pay into your treasury. In other words, they appealed to the king's sense of money, money, money. Isn't this the greatest tactic of liars? If they want to get you on their side, all they have to do is convince people it's going to cost them their beloved money. You ever see that on the news? Oh, watch out. If this guy gets what he wants, it's going to cost you. You should be scared. And oh, oh, we better side with this guy. This is ancient tactics. Nothing new under the sun here. Appealed to his sense of money. So they wrote to the king. Just go check the records. Go look it up in the books, and you'll see for yourself that this city has been so rebellious evil in the past, and that this is why they were destroyed, and they were rebelling against other nations. No, the reason why Jerusalem was destroyed is not because they rebelled against men. It's because they rebelled against God, and the books aren't going to say that. You see the lie? So look at these guys. They were using Jerusalem's past history to try to incriminate them with it. You ever have someone try to bring up elements of your past and incriminate you with it? That's what they're doing. They're dressing up a false story to the king. So the closing of their letter was, if these guys get that city wall back up again, oh, king, they're going to they're gonna take your money. They're going to take your territory. You're not going to be rich like you used to be because, oh, king, all this territory belongs to you. They said, if they get this wall, your dominion's not going to go very far. And king, that, that's yours. It belongs to you. Um, no, it does not belong to King Artaxerxes. It does not belong to them. That land belongs to the Israelites because God gave it to them for their inheritance. And that still stands today. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.